It's really simple. Life has absolutely no meaning unless we know Jesus Christ as Lord. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Henry. I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery. The Bible is a book of 66 books, and it's created by the Holy Spirit, the words of the Holy Spirit. As we go through the Bible, we discover it. And we're going to talk about Ecclesiastes chapter 4, a good discussion today in about five minutes' time. Corey is here. She's going to tell us something interesting that she and Ryan are doing in about 20 minutes. Corey. Yeah, I'm going to be looking at several very large, mysterious things in Jerusalem that can still be seen today. Ryan? <laughs> All right. Well, I think it's time for a reality check. And you know what? The preacher of Ecclesiastes is going to give us one. All right. There you go. Very good. Those two are coming up in about 20 minutes. Okay, Janice? It's our Friday wrap-up question of the week. Anywhere from Proverbs chapter 15 to Ecclesiastes chapter 6. I hope you're ready. Ecclesiastes 4, 1 through 6. Then I returned and considered all the oppression that is done under the sun. And look, the tears of the oppressed, but they have no comforter. On the side of their oppressors there is power, but they have no comforter. Therefore I praised the dead who were already dead, more than the living who are still alive. Yet, better than both is he who has never existed, who has not seen the evil work that is done under the sun. Again, I saw that for all toil and every skillful work a man is envied by his neighbor. This also is vanity and grasping for the wind." The fool folds his hands and consumes his own flesh. Better a handful with quietness than both hands full together with toil and grasping for the wind. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verses 1 through 6. Ecclesiastes 4, 5, and 6. We continue to go through the book of Ecclesiastes. It is something. And as we focus on this, the last part of the week, I would remind you that there is a weekend wrap-up that my daughter does with her husband on the weekend on her Bible Discovery Channel and also on our BD family and friends. It's very, very important. And one of the biggest problems with those who have rejected the idea of God is their lack of an answer for God because there's a God-shaped void in every heart. Every human being is spiritual as well as physical. The question is, what will answer your spiritual needs? To many in the world, the answer becomes themselves. But they are not big enough to fill that, that void, God-shaped void. And this is the problem with the people who reject God and his supremacy. Now, Ecclesiastes 4 is a place in which the man who is known for his wisdom does not see everything. What? Absolutely. That's the problem. When we do not see the things that are obvious, we appear to be uninformed or ignorant. Knowing about God, you see, is one thing. But knowing the Lord 
as your God and Savior is something very different. We cannot trust in God unless we know God as our Lord and the Savior of our life. And you say, wait a minute, Rod, but how could that be? Well, we come to the place where we recognize that we are bankrupt of any moral integrity, that there's no way we can be good, no way we can do things around us. The people around us have suffered enough. And we come to that place. That's when we say, Lord Jesus, I need you. And I want to encourage you today as we study Ecclesiastes 4, 1 to 6, to pray at the end of this teaching when we'll talk about how to come to Jesus Christ. Father, I pray today in the name of Jesus that you would teach us your way and show us your path. And I, I say that all the time, but I mean it. Because Lord, we need to hear you. And especially right now. This is the time when people, we, we see things in the world that are not going right at all. And there are things that we, we can say, well, that's because of this or that. But really, Lord, it's because we have turned away from you. And Psalm 107 verse 20 says, he sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. I need to be delivered from our destruction, from my destruction, from my thinking. Help me today, Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ and help us as we study this. And we all said together, amen and amen. Make it so, amen. All right. Now let's take a look at this because this gets really interesting as we look at verse chapter four, verse one. It says, then I returned and considered all the oppression that is done under the sun, S-U-N. And look, the tears of the oppressed, but they have no comforter. On the side of their oppressors, there is power, but they have no comforter. Therefore, I praised the dead who were already dead more than the living who are still alive. Yet better than both dead or alive is he who never existed, who has never seen evil work that is done under the sun. Do you understand what he's saying? You see, life has no meaning unless we come to know Jesus Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach, as Lord. Jesus knows and understands our pain and our sorrow of injustice. One of the things that is key is Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Christ, is the one person who understands suffering. If anybody understands suffering, it is the one who we killed because of our sin. All of us did it. And our sin is horrible. And the enemy has had his fun with our sin in this world and destroying us. But God has come to pay for our sin. And then death could not keep him because he rose from the dead. When he rose from the dead, everything changed. And now the question is, there's a God-shaped void in you. Pay attention to that because there's only one person who can fill it. And that is Jesus Christ. Back to the scripture. Ecclesiastes 4, verse 4. Really good one. Again, I saw that for the toil, all the toil, and every skillful worker and man is envied by his neighbor. Now think about that. This also is vanity and grasping for the wind. Ecclesiastes, the, the writer of Ecclesiastes sees this. Competition with others is irrelevant when we know Jesus Christ. Competition with others is irrelevant when we know Jesus Christ. The Lord credits us 
with our purpose, not our talent. I remember growing up in, in high school and uh, my counselor came to me and told me, well, we have to see what your talents are and your abilities are to see where you, what you can do. And uh, they, they ended up telling me, well, you can work in a factory or you can be a surgeon. What in the world? That's what the conclusion was. I, I grew up and I didn't do any of those <laughs> because God had called me to something completely different, this. So beloved, we need to understand that we are not called according to our talents, but rather according to our calling from Jesus Christ. And he has formed our talents to fulfill the calling. We've, you know, every time I talk to people about this, it's amazing because we've, we've lost that. We need to hear from God what he has called us to do and do that. All right, let's go on to the next passage because this is Ecclesiastes 4 verse 5. The fool folds his hands and consumes his own flesh. Better a handful with quietness than both hands full, together with toil and grasping for the wind. God promises to provide our needs as we serve him. He promises to provide our needs as we serve him, not as we serve ourselves. When we look to ourselves exclusively to provide, we will likely fail. Now, it's important to remember that because that's exactly what God says. God promises to provide our needs as we serve him and we look to, ourse look to ourselves to exclusively provide, we will likely fail. Now, keep this in mind. I know everybody's talented. I know everybody's great. Everybody's, I just want you to think. I just want to talk to you for a minute. I want you to really think about this. Are you lonely? Are you tired? Have you seen evil? Watch the news. What do you do about it? Do you get on and rally here and do that and demonstrate? What does that get you? There's only one way to handle true evil. And there's only one way to handle injustice. And that's through the Lord Jesus Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach. Very, very important. And beloved, I, I want to challenge you today in the name of Jesus Christ to pray to God and ask the Lord to come into your heart. I, I, I don't need you to call any number or go into any internet site. Just listen. The Lord Jesus Christ gave his life for you. We killed him. All of us did. Death could not hold him. And from the ground he came three days later and he lived. And he said to his disciples, go tell everybody the good news. What is the good news? That Jesus Christ came and died and rose again for us. That if we receive him as Lord, he will come into our hearts. And so pray with me, Father, in Jesus' name, I'm tired of the evil and the sin. Forgive me for my sin. I need you today. Help me, Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ. And we pray together. All of us said together, amen. Now remember, the word amen means make it so. The Holy Spirit will now make it so in your life today. But a lie is when somebody tells you, I know how you'll be happy. You buy this hairspray and you're going to be happy. You smell like this flower, you're going to be happy. You take this drug, you're going to be happy. You buy this car, you're going to be happy. See, it all tells me I'm going to be happy. No, I'm not. 
That's not how this works. The truth is that I am not happy until I find the purpose of why I exist. My purpose for living. All right, welcome back to the program. Today, to go along with our reading, I really want to take an overview of some of the Bible's wisdom literature books. In particular, Proverbs, Job, and Ecclesiastes. And I call this segment today Reality Check because although Proverbs, Job, and Ecclesiastes often seem to contradict one another, the fact is that when these books are taken together, they form a proper understanding of reality. Take a look. Just as the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God, so too the wisdom of God often seems equally foolish to the world. The wisdom presented in Proverbs, Job, and Ecclesiastes, for example, can appear downright contradictory. For example, as Pastor Derek J. Brown points out, although Proverbs offers reassuring hopeful promises, such as no ill befalls the righteous, but the wicked are filled with trouble, the book of Job portrays one of the most righteous of all men, enduring a weight of suffering that exceeds the experience of most men. And Ecclesiastes further complicates the issue by declaring in a despairingly stoic tone that it does not really matter one way or the other. Similarly, the declaration in Proverbs 21.5 that the plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty, also appears to not always be true. Job no doubt experienced the fulfillment of this promise since he was a man of great wealth, but it was not his hastiness that brought him to poverty, it was fire from heaven and a situation out of his control. Ecclesiastes, on the other hand, points out that an excess of wealth is nothing more than vanity and striving after the wind, so who cares if you have any or not? Thus the question at large is if the wisdom of Proverbs is nullified by the raw reality of Job and the pessimism of Ecclesiastes. Actually, although it initially might seem that these books cannot peacefully coexist, in reality only together can they provide a proper understanding of the real world. Indeed, the reality of Job's suffering and the pessimistic outlook of Ecclesiastes counterbalances the wisdom of Proverbs and adds the ever-important qualification, but it may not happen this way. Because the reality is that for now, we live in an imperfect fallen state. Of course, some of these dissonances urge us forward to the New Testament, but others are still with us, putting into words the groaning in travail which the New Testament itself accepts as irreducible in the present age. However, the suffering of Job will find its relief and reason in eternal glory, whereas the vain life of Ecclesiastes will, in the end, be swallowed up by eternal life, and all the injustices in the world will be set right by the great judge. In the meantime, how do we as disciples of Christ correctly and appropriately apply the bold and present promises of Proverbs in the light of the raw reality of Job and the unrelenting cynicism of Ecclesiastes? We present each together in full force. In Proverbs, we present the life of wisdom in all its unapologetic glory and blessing, and the rejection of wisdom in all its gloom. In Job, we show our hearers that it is possible that a good and godly man may suffer in this life, and that it may not be a result of his sin. In fact, it may be a result of his righteousness. In Ecclesiastes, we bring our hearers into the world of the man without God and invite them to walk around in his pointless, vain existence in order to show them that without God, life has little or no meaning.
So our takeaway from this is really important because way too often well-meaning but very ignorant Christians, much like Job's friends, have totally misapplied the word of God and have caused more hurt than healing. And this can happen when we take a passage out of context or we fail to interpret it through other biblical passages. So let's be really careful. I think it's important to remember that the Bible interprets itself. So when you take, when you see a passage in scripture, you see something that's happening, you need to find two or three other places where that similar thing can be reinforced. Uh, I've known people who've taken the Bible and one section of it and just taken that and built a theology on it. You can't do that. You need two yeah. or three witnesses, uh, to use the biblical terms, yeah. uh, to establish what it is you're trying to say. And I think that's very important. That's right. And the Bible is, is a book. It's, it's, a, it's, you know, it's 66 books, but it's one. Yeah. Right. And so you can't just uh, cherry pick passages. You, you, you really have to, you know, have that balance. I mean, when you, when, you, when you read the prophets, I'm studying the prophets now, when you read the prophets, Zechariah, you read his eight visions, you read Isaiah, you see he's got 22 references of Messianic scriptures and all of that. But you read them and they're very similar in the ways that they look at the millennium and the way they look at different things. It's very interesting. Mm -hmm. And yet they were written so far apart. You know, they're 300 years apart. And so what, that's the Holy Spirit yeah. writing them. That's right, absolutely. And so you've got you've to understand that when the Holy Spirit talks, he's talking to all of time. And so we, we have to keep that in our minds. So that's very important. Very interesting. Okay, Corey. Okay, guys, let me introduce you to a mystery. A mystery that is still a mystery. Have you guys heard of the tumuli of Jerusalem? I have. I so, have not. Okay, so tumuli just means, <clears throat> tumuli is plural, tumulus is singular. And that just means essentially a, a very large heap of stone and dirt that is man-made. It's not just uh, some small pile somewhere. It is man-made and it is enormous. Uh, now, in Jerusalem, this was noticed, you know, back in the 1800s, it was first written down as, as explorers started you know, walking across the land, um, that, that in Jerusalem, around Jerusalem, around the old city of Jerusalem, within a five mile radius of the city, on one side of the city, on the west specifically of Jerusalem, there's three groups of these tumuli, these very large heaps of stone. I mean, we're talking like 30 feet high. It would have taken a lot of engineering to, to do this, a lot of work to do this. Um, and there's about 19 or 20 of them. There was 20 of them, but there's an argument as to whether one of them belongs to something else and not to this group. Okay. So, um, until recently, there hasn't been a lot of research that has gone into them. So in the 1920s, uh, um, William F. Albright, he, he did a little bit of a, a test excavation into one of these. And his idea was that these maybe were tombs uh, because there's examples in other parts of the world of, you know, large piles of stone being erected over tombs. Uh, so that was a theory. And then um, Ruth Amarin came along in the 1950s and she excavated. Uh, one of these right down, right down so it's gone. I mean, today there's not 19 or 20 of these tumuli left. There's only a handful because several of them have been um, excavated and some of them have just been lost to um, modern building projects in Jerusalem. But she determined that 
perhaps she thought that these weren't tombs because when she excavated the one, there wasn't a body, there wasn't an internment, anything of that nature. Uh, but what she discovered was that there were series of circular walls built, retaining walls inside of these structures, so to facilitate the building of these, so that they would hold in the stones as as the the pile grew and grew. But at the base of one of hers, she discovered a raised platform uh, with an altar of some sort uh, because there was burned ground that was saturated with fat and there were some animal bones and this platform. So uh, she said maybe these were desecrated high places. So maybe this was uh, apostate worship and either Hezekiah or Josiah, she dated it more to the time of Hezekiah, uh, came along and, and piled stones on this. Um, but she she really wasn't sure. And she said, you know, maybe it was part of a tomb complex because there are examples, for example, from the island of Cyprus of uh, tumuli being built beside tombs. So maybe still not a whole lot of answers. Well, then Gabriel Barkay famously wrote an article in Biblical Archaeology Review in 2003. And his theory was really interesting. He also excavated one of these uh, uh, tumuli, I believe, in the 80s, he excavated his. Uh, and he believes he connects these tumuli with biblical mourning for the kings of Judah. So if you go to Second Chronicles chapter 32, uh, verse 33, uh, it says this about Hezekiah's death. Hezekiah rested with his ancestors and was buried on the hill where the tombs of David's descendants are. All Judah and the people of Jerusalem honored him when he died. Uh, and then if you go back to 2 Chronicles 16 and you read about Asa, Asa was buried in his tomb and then the people had a fire in his honor. We learn in 2 Chronicles 21 of Joram, the terrible king, that no fire was lit in his honor because he was a terrible king. And we read about in Jeremiah 34 verse 5, Jeremiah is giving a conditional prophecy to Zedekiah, King Zedekiah. He says, you know, if you follow the Lord's word, then you will die in peace. You'll be buried and the people will build a fire in your honor, just as they have for all of your forefathers. And of course, Zedekiah doesn't follow the word of the Lord. So this doesn't, this conditional prophecy doesn't come true, but that's neither here nor there. We know that memorial services were held. So Barkay's idea was that the that um, a fire was held in the king's honor after his burial. The people would travel from all around and they would all uh, carry a bucket of stones and they would dump it over where the memorial fire was, which is very intriguing. Uh, but recently, in 2017 to 2020, another... Tumulus was excavated and it was built over top of a building <laughs> and then a building was built on top of it. So we've got all of these confusing and conflicting ideas and, and everyone really likes Barkay's suggestion, but what about the, tum the tumuli that don't follow this pattern of his? And what about the dating? That would require that they would have to be built not all from the same time period, but from separate time periods in the kings, right? A few could be from the same time period because some kings died rather closely together, but it would have to span, you know, from David all the way to almost Zedekiah. Okay, so uh, this, this article that has come out in 2020 and now in 2023 
early 2023, uh, their idea is that this this particular tumulus uh, was built at the same time as Ramat Rahel, which they believe corresponds to the Assyrian uh, the Assyrian dominance in the area. So King Ahaz, Hezekiah's father, became a vassal of the Assyrian Empire, and the Assyrian Empire required tribute. So Ramat Rahel and this building were built to to gather up resources for that taxation to Assyria. Perhaps then when Hezekiah rebelled, he dismantled this administrative center, built a tumulus on top of it, and built his own administration center on top. We don't know. There's, I think the best conclusion that a lot of people have come to now, a lot of researchers have come to, is that perhaps all of these tumuli are, were built for different purposes. And That's maybe, my theory. Maybe each one has <laughs> That's a different, my theory. Maybe some of them were built for the memorials mm-hmm. of the king. Maybe some were built for the Assyrian invasion. It's a big mystery, guys. It's ongoing. Hopefully, a few more will be excavated before they disappear. Yeah, I, but I, I think it's in the multiples. That's what I We'll think. see. Very good. Excellent. Well, Corey, question. All right, here we are with the question. It is a finish the verse. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe, build wisely on that foundation, or forever praise the name of the Lord. I'm going to read it again. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe, build wisely on that foundation, or forever praise the name of the Lord. What say you and you? I'm leaning on an old hymn. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't know how old it is, but I remember it from my childhood. I'm going to say number one. The righteous run into it and are saved. I agree. You agree? Mm-hmm. All right. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and they are safe. Got it. You got it, guys. There you go. I could just I keep that. repeating. We can continue singing, but we're out of time. And you are right. That is a good old one. And, uh, I hope you got it at home too. If you didn't, that's okay. Next Friday, you can try again. BD, family and friends. I know you're tired of me saying the same thing all the time, but I'm, I'm just excited about this channel. And uh, I'll just say this one more day. And that is we do a program called Just the Facts 30 years ago. And we put that on there as well. So all our programs we do here at the studio and have done in the past are on. 
and they're on video on demand as well. So check out BD Family and Friends on the internet, BibleDiscoveryTV.com, or on the Roku channel, or on the Firestick television. Either way, BD Family and Friends, check it out. In the meantime, let's pray. Lord, help me to reset my thinking to your way, not my way. I need to think like you think, not like I do. Help me to do that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.